From the hallowed hallways of Shed High School, from WSHDLP Eastport, this is Round the World with your host, Cracklin' Jane from Eastport, Maine. Stay tuned for historical 78 RPM recordings from around the world. The news about global warming is becoming increasingly alarming. There's wildfires everywhere, destroying whole towns and millions of acres of forest. There's more and more intense hurricanes and ridiculously higher and higher temperatures. Renewable energy is getting a stronger foothold and we are taking steps towards reducing CO2 emissions. But how do we repair the damage that's already been done? Well, our voluminous archive of 78 RPM recordings contains the wisdom of the ages. So let's look there and see what we find. What is needed to bring the Earth back from the brink of destruction? I think that I shall never see A poem lovely as a tree A tree whose hungry mouth is pressed Against the earth's sweet glowing
We're looking for a solution to the problem of global warming and climate instability, and our 78 RPM archives have not failed us. We just heard two renditions of Trees, the musical setting of the poem by Joyce Kilmer. That was Frank Munn with the Nat Shilkrit Orchestra from 1931, and we started with Paul Robeson in 1938. The Jet Propulsion Lab is reporting that an international research team has analyzed the forest cover of the entire world and has concluded that the Earth could support another 2.2 billion acres of forest, which is an area about the size of the U.S. and Canada combined. If we planted 500 billion trees, it would reduce atmospheric carbon by about 25%. This would repair about half of the carbon emitted by humanoids since 1960. We're doing pretty well here in Maine. We're about 89% forested, which is the highest percentage in the U.S. And these trees are sequestering close to 75% of Maine's total annual CO2 emissions. Here is Harold Lambert with Sam Lennon's Dance Orchestra to tell us about a 1927 shady tree.
Shady Tree, expounded on by Harold Lambert with Sam Lannan's Dance Orchestra from 1927. Trees are going to help save the day. Now, which trees are going to give the biggest bang for the buck in terms of scrubbing the CO2 from the atmosphere? Well, various hybrids of the sycamore are considered to be the most effective for reducing urban air pollution. Here is Rodman Lewis with the 1928 Missouri Jazz Band in the Sing Song Sycamore Tree.
when you smiled for me On the night when you gave me your love by the sycamore tree There we drew a lot of pretty pictures Babies on my knee Maybe one, two or three or four Down by the sycamore tree Sweetheart, keep on dreaming As you did before We found love by dreaming Tell me, who could ask for more? We will be a lucky pair of bluebirds Honey, can't you see? In a cute little two-by-four Down by the sycamore tree songs praising the sycamore tree, a deciduous tree that grows over a hundred feet high and gets right to work scrubbing pollutants from the air. That was Jack Fulton by the sycamore tree with Paul Whiteman and his 1931 orchestra. Before them, the Missouri Jazz Band backed up Rodman Lewis in the Sing Song Sycamore Tree from 1928. You are listening to WSHDLP Eastport. This is Round the World with your host, Cracklin' Jane and our 78 RPM collection this hour is providing a solution to global warming, planting trees. Two more top CO2 scrubbers, who happen to also be fast growing, are the pine tree and the poplar tree. We hear next Cliff Weston with Tommy Dorsey and his orchestra with two 1935 hearts carved on a lonesome pine.
fast-growing trees who, by the way, are excellent CO2 catchers, the pine and the poplar. We'll put those on our list of the trees we want to start planting to help offset global climate instability. We just heard the Callahan brothers in 1934 with their little poplar log house on the hill. This was preceded by two hearts carved on a lonesome pine, Cliff Weston with Tommy Dorsey and his orchestra in 1935. It's a beautiful day for a hike through the woods. 
I'm looking for Elmer the Elm Tree, who is also a decent CO2 catcher. And let's see if we can find old Elmer. We'll have to walk through these dead leaves and thick underbrush, seedlings, mosses, and look for a tall tree. Elmer. Over here! Oh, hi, Elmer. I heard you coming through the wood wide web. Wait a minute. You knew I was coming? You trees have your own internet? <laughs> we know a lot more about you than you think. We've had our own web since forever. It's based on mycorrhizal networks made of fungi. You primitive humans have only just now developed a rudimentary internet. Ours allows us not only to share information, but also bequeath wealth and help care for each other. Our medium of exchange is carbon, which we grab from the air and share with our friends through our root systems via the wood wide web. The whole forest is one big web underground. Holy cow! Is that how you make sure the other elm trees get ahead in their competition for scarce resources? No, knucklehead! All the species here share with each other. We need short bushy trees and mosses and such to keep the moisture on the forest floor from evaporating away. And in exchange, us tall trees grab carbon with our leaves and share it via our roots. Diversity helps us all survive better. No wonder you humans are throwing things out of whack. I always heard you weren't exactly the brightest bulbs on the tree, so to speak. <laughs>
songs which bow down in deep respect to the elm tree. That was the Texas Wanderers from 1939 with Deep Elm Swing. Before that, Ben Pollock and his orchestra gave us Deep Elm from 1936. We're back from our interview with Elmer the Elm Tree, who revealed some astounding secrets about the wood wide web. We're planting as many trees this hour as we can, and we want to take care not to plant just the same species of tree everywhere. Our special guest, Elmer the Elm Tree, says trees will die of boredom if there's no diversity. So in between all of our good CO2 scrubbing trees, let's plant some trees that we know will do well here in Downey's Maine, namely apple trees. Here's Pee Wee Hunt with Glenn Gray and the Casa Loma Orchestra with the old apple tree.
apple tree in the orchard lives in my memory Cause it reminds me of my pappy He was handsome, young and happy when he planted the old apple tree Oh, the day pappy took with her Norton out on the jamboree And when he took her home at son of brother Norton raised his gun up and he chased Pappy up in the tree Oh, the neighbors came after my Pappy Up in the tree was he The neighbors took a rope and strung him by the neck And then they hung him to a branch of the old apple tree Oh, poor Pappy, he lies in the orchard Out of his misery Put the apples in a basket, chop the tree down for a casket, and my poor pappy's gone with the tree. Say goodbye, oh say goodbye, say goodbye to the old apple tree. If my pappy hadn't noticed, he'd be sorry that he growed it, cause he died on the old apple tree.
last words when he was dying was I should have growed a pion, but he died on the old apple tree. Two species of the old apple tree, both from 1938. We started with Pee Wee Hunt with Glenn Gray and the Casa Loma Orchestra, followed by Frank Crummett with the Al Duffy Four. You are listening to WSHDLP Eastport. This is Round the World with Cracklin' Jane. We are fighting global warming this hour by planting different species of trees. St. Stephen, New Brunswick native Henry Burr is on hand to help plant the next two apple tree species. Here he is joined by Albert Campbell in the 1916 Is There Still Room for Me Neath the Old Apple Tree? Listen carefully because the lyrics actually refer to Maine.
Henry Burr has just assisted planting two apple trees. That was the 1905 In the Shade of the Old Apple Tree. And before that, he harmonized with Albert Campbell in the 1916 Is There Still Room for Me Neath the Old Apple Tree? Earlier in the show, we talked about a Jet Propulsion Lab report that the Earth can support up to an additional 500 billion trees, which would make a substantial dent in the excess CO2 in the atmosphere. How long would it take to plant that many trees? Well, planting 2 million acres of trees a year with each acre containing 40 or 50 trees would take about a thousand years. On the other hand, over the past 15 years or so, China has planted millions of trees to increase their forest cover between 10 and 20 percent. This effort has offset up to 33 percent of China's annual fossil fuel emissions. Now let's head back to 1913 to hear Bert Williams plead for the life of a tree. There is a tree grows right near our house. Been there quite some time. The tree is a slippery elm tree and it's very hard to climb. But when my wife gets after me, in that tree I root, I can go up just like a healthy squirrel. I never need a boot. Other days, a woodman come round to chop my refuse down and spit it up into kindling wood up to fill it round the town. I said to him, my friend, desist, wait, stop, lay down thy forest razor, chop not a single chop. No, woodman, woodman, spare a tree, but not a single bough. For years it has 
Protect with me, and I'll protect it now. Go chop an oak, a birch or pine, but leave this slippery elm of mine. It's the only tree my wife can't climb. All woodman's bad for me. I said to him, do you see that hole right near this old tree top? Well, I'm got five dollars get up there, and yo, if you refuse to chop, no beast but me can climb the tree, because, really, friend, it is too slippery. And I can't get up there very well myself, lest my wife is after me. Now, you get my wife, and I'll call her a very naughty word. Then all you do is just I'll give an imitation of a bird. You may not know that's why I go, that is, if uh, he's round. But all I ask is remember, if you don't see me on the ground, ah, Woodman, Woodman, fair tree, touch not a single bough, and I'll drop the five down to him. The one I promised thou. But you must make your act behave. This slippery elephant, it must be saved. It's the borderline between me and the grave. Woodman, bad from me. Hot from mine, they'll cut down the old pine tree. Cause she was such a nifty little hearty touchy, and to her I'll give my everything. Though we'll drifting apart, still they'll chopping down mine heart when they'll chop down the old pine tree. Thank you, Sam. That was right nice of you. Now, Bill, you come on over here where you're fiddling players, won't you? Right here, that's the point. Hey, 
you, Bill. That was awful sweet of you. Now, Jim, come on over here with that little flute you bought. See if you can play it for us, will you? They cut down the old pine tree. That lament by Perry B. Lipson with Joe Rines and his orchestra in 1932. This was preceded by Bert Williams in 1913. Woodman, spare that tree. The earth needs all the trees it can get its hands on. So it's important to reforest any harvested trees, but do so keeping forest diversity in mind. The health of the new trees depends on it. And speaking of diversity, Let's close this hour with two species we haven't yet heard from, the mighty oak and the willow tree. Here are the three peppers from 1939, Love Grows on the White Oak Tree. Here's an invitation to a fairyland My mama told me about it long ago Use imagination, then you'll understand And want to sing it to all the folks you know Love grows on the white oak tree Sugar floats like candy Top of the mountain shine like gold And you kiss a young lady so dandy Love grows on the white oak tree Sugar floats like candy Top of the mountain shine like gold And the money flows around you so handy Dream, 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 dream under the white oak tree. Dream, dream, sweet dream, enough for you and me. Love grows on the white oak tree, sugar floats so like candy. Top of the mountain shine like gold, and the money flows around you so handy. Shine like gold and the money flows around you so handy. 
was Dorothy L'Amour, assisted by Lou Bring and his orchestra, The Moon and the Willow Tree. Before that, Love Grows on the White Oak Tree, courtesy of the Three Peppers. Both those arboreal acclamations from 1939. And this concludes the musical portion of Round the World today. We studied our 78 RPM archives for clues to offsetting the disturbing effects of CO2 emissions that is causing wildfires, hurricanes, and record temperatures. The answer is to reforest and plant as many trees as possible, up to 500 billion worth. Our exclusive interview with Elmer the Elm Tree also underlined the importance of maintaining biodiversity in any newly planted areas 
to create a healthy wood wide web that allows all the plants to keep each other in good stead. You are listening to WSHDLP Eastport. This is Round the World with Cracklin' Jane. Now, let's rest from all our tree planting exertions because we're about to experience a 1946 Orson Welles Mercury Summer Theater dramatization of the classic John Galsworthy short story, The Apple Tree. So let's listen. Good evening, this is Orson Welles, your producer of a special series of broadcasts. The Mercury Summer Theater of the Air. And now, Mr. Welles. Tonight, the Mercury brings you one of the loveliest of all love stories. It's by John Galsworthy, and it's called The Apple Tree. Stella's and my silver wedding anniversary. We'd motored to Torquay where we'd first met to celebrate. And Stella had suggested that we take a lunch and drive out on the moor. It would be so lovely there, Frank. It's quite warm in the sun. I can do some sketching while you read. We drove several miles and stopped on a high hill with a view into the deep valley beyond. Stella wandered off somewhere to sketch and I stretched out in the sun and watched the sky and longed for... I knew not what. There was no reason I should be unhappy or even mildly disturbed. My life had been pleasant, my marriage quite successful, but as I lay there, it seemed to me that there was something missing, something that had nothing to do with pleasant lives or successful marriages. The familiar words of Hippolytus echoed in my mind. The apple tree... The apple tree, the singing, and the gold. The apple tree. And then quite suddenly, I remembered. I'd been here before. Years before. I'd stood on this self-same hill near the valley into which I looked. That ribbon of road in the old well behind. Life has moments of sheer beauty of unbidden flying rapture, but they last no longer than the span of a cloud's flight over the sun. I'd stumbled on just such a moment in my own life. I'd stumbled on a buried memory, a wild, sweet time. It was after my first year in college. A friend of mine, Robert Cart, and I were making a walking tour of the country around Torquay. But my knee, which had been injured in a football game the year before, was giving me trouble. I knew I'd have to give up the tour. We were looking for a farmhouse somewhere where we'd put up until I got better. I don't think you ought to walk much farther, Frank. Why don't I go ahead and reconnoiter? Oh, I won't need to. There's someone coming. There's a girl. The wind blew her crude little skirt against her legs and lifted her battered tam It was clear she was a country girl. Shoes were split, her hands were rough and brown, and her hair waved untidily across her forehead. But her lashes were long and dark, and her gray eyes were a wonder, dewy as if opened for the first time that day. Hello. Could you tell us if there's a farm near here where we could spend the night? My friend's getting pretty lame. There's our farm, sir. 
Oh, could you put us up? I'm sure my aunt would be glad to. If you like, I'll show you the way. We'd appreciate it very much. Not very far, just down the valley. Right through the apple orchard, and we're there. Just through a narrow wood, we came on the farm. A long, low, stone-built house with casement windows and a farmyard where pigs and fowls and an old mare were straying about, and in front, an orchard of apple trees just breaking into flower. A woman stood by the door watching as we approached. This is Mrs. Narricombe, my aunt. And we met your niece on the road. She said she... She thought you might put us up. Well, I can if you don't mind one room. Megan, get the spare room ready and a bowl of cream. The gentleman will be wanting tea, I expect. Oh, thank you, Mrs. Narricombe. By the way, I... We haven't been introduced. No, sir. Oh, this is Robert Carton. I'm Frank Asher. How do you do, sir? Hello. What's your name? Megan David. Are you a Devonshire girl? Oh, no, sir. I'm from Wales. You're very young, aren't you? I'm 17, sir. Well, how many of you live here? Well, there's my aunt and her two nephews. The boys who thought you came. Nick and Rick, they're caught. Then there's old Jim, a hired man. Quite a family. Yes, sir. Is anything else you want? You call. All right. Thank you. Pretty thing, isn't she? Huh. Pretty, she's like a flower. Like a wildflower. You come on unexpectedly in the woods. Mm, a bit poetic for me. But I see your point. I say, Frank, your knee is pretty bad. Yeah. What do you say I leave you here for a couple of days? Well, it does hurt like the devil. What about you? Well, I have to get back to London, but I can get the train from Torquay. That is, if you don't mind being left alone. As a matter of fact, I should like it. Nothing to do but dream and watch spring on a farm... I've always wanted to do that. Well, good luck to you, then. Look me up when you get to London. And uh, be careful of the wildflower. It's good to be left alone. I think they were glad to have me. Negan and her aunt worried about my lameness as if I'd been one of the family. From the very first, I'd felt that Megan liked me. She performed little kindnesses for me that weren't part of her duties. As the days went by, I began to expect them. When I woke in the morning, the thought of her made me anxious to be up and downstairs. Even if I didn't talk with her, I liked to be near where I could hear her singing at her work. One day, I was down by the big apple tree... And the two little boys, Nick and Rick, were playing there by the pool. <laughs> Watch out, Rick. A gypsy bogle will get you. Gypsy bogle? <laughs> what do you mean by the gypsy bogle, Rick? A gypsy bogle sits on the stone there by the apple tree. Oh, and what does he look like? Dunno. Never seen him. Meekin says he's up there. Meekin's a spirit of it. Oh? But she's not a spirit of you. She says a prayer for you. Well, how do you know that, you little rascal? When I was asleep, she said... God bless us all and Mr. Rashes. I heard her whispering. <laughs> you're a little roughing to tell what you hear when you're not meant to hear it. You see, Rick, I told you not to tell him. Nick, Rick, come here, both Here of they you. are, Megan. And I've been looking all over the rascals. <laughs> go into the house at once. Auntie wants you. Now go on with you. Nick told her about the gypsy bogle. <laughs> go on now. No more nonsense, obviously. <laughs> Children are silly sometimes. Oh, I don't think so. They're often more sensible than grown-ups. Tell me, Megan. This gypsy bogle they're talking about. He brings bad things. They're bogles in the rocks. They're men who lived long ago. 
There's one that comes here and sits on that rock. Well, I should come down one night and sit on the rock there and have a talk with him. Oh, please don't. Something will happen to you. What does it matter if anything happened to me, Megan? Would it disturb you a lot? I dare say I shan't see him because I suppose I shall have to be off pretty soon. Oh, no. Would you like me to stay? Yes. Very much. Well, then I will stay. And tonight, Megan, I will. I'm going to say a prayer for you. You're laughing at me. You're laughing at us, all of us. That's not true, Megan. Believe me, that's not true. Why? I... Wait, Megan. Your hair. Your hair is caught in the apple blossoms. Don't move, Megan. Don't move. Oh, you're, you're beautiful with those clusters of pink blossoms in your dark hair. Megan. Oh. You're so very, very sweet, Megan. You too. Megan, come here tonight. Apple tree. After they've gone to bed, we can promise. I promise. For a long time after Megan had fled away through the orchard, I stood there under the apple tree. This was the beginning of what? She was so lovely, so unutterably lovely and untouched. I felt somehow as if I'd beheld a miracle. And it had transformed me. I walked on toward the wild meadow. Jim, the hired man, was out there. Good evening to you, Mr. Asher. It is brave weather for the grass. They, they tell me I've seen the gypsy boggle. Uh... Have you seen it, too? Is that right? Well, twere in my mind as twas there this evening a little afore. Ask Megan. If she was there, she's seen him. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, she's sensitive. She, she feels everything. She's very loving-hearted. Loving-hearted. Hey. Yes. That was it. What was I to do about this girl who loved me so? And whom I loved... I walked for a long time. In the orchard, I broke off a spray from a crabapple tree. The buds were like Megan. Shell pink. Rose pink. Wild and fresh. And the opening flowers white and wild and touching. <laughs> listening to our Mercury production of John Galsworthy's great love story, The Apple Tree. And now part two of Orson Welles' Mercury production of the famous love story by John Galsworthy, The Apple Tree.
she kept her promise. Negan met me under the apple tree that night. She came straight toward me. And into my arms. And our lips sought each other. And we stood there together. For a long time. you come? Sir, you asked me to. Megan, darling, don't call me sir. Should I be called? Frank. Oh, I couldn't. But you love me, don't you? I couldn't help loving you and I want to be with you. That's all. That's all. I shall die if I can't be with you. You shall be with me forever, Megan. Forever. We'll go to London. I'll show you the world. I don't care where we go. If I can be with you. Tomorrow, dear, I'll, I'll go to Torquay and get some money and get you some clothes that won't be noticed when we get to London. If you love me well enough, we'll be married. Oh, no, I couldn't. I only want to be with you. Oh, Megan, I'm not nearly good enough for you. Tell me, when did you begin to love me? When I saw you on the road and you looked at me. I never thought you'd want me. Oh, my darling. The gypsy bogle, where I don't see anything. They're sitting on the stone under the tree. Megan, there's nothing there, only the moonlight on the rocks. I saw it, and I'm afraid. That's a fine. bad sign. I must go in. Darling Megan, there's nothing there. There's no gypsy bogle. It's only your imagination. You don't see the bogles, but I see them. And I know. Good night. Megan. Megan. I heard the gate click. Knew she'd gone. Instead of a... Old apple tree and the scent of the woods, a little part of her, and above me and around the blossoms, more living, more moonlit than ever, seemed to glow and breathe. I wanted to get some money, and I had to cash a check, but I found that without credentials, I'd have to wait till then. Why at the London Bank for verification? While I waited for the answer, I shopped for a dress for Megan. Here's something, sir. It's very smart. The more I looked at those modish gowns, the less they seemed suited to Megan. It was incredible that Megan, my Megan, could ever be dressed in anything except the rough tweed skirt and battered tam I'd always seen it wear couldn't make up my mind, and yet she couldn't wear her old clothes in London. They, they wouldn't suit her either. Couldn't make up my mind. I walked the streets of Torquay, confused and undecided. Well, Frank Ashurst, haven't seen you since rugby. Oh, Halliday, Phil Halliday, this is a surprise. Hey, if you're not lunching anywhere, come with me. Uh, I'm here with my sister Stella. Oh, that's good. I'd love to see Stella. I haven't... Any good reason for refusing, Phil? Oh, great, Scott. I've completely forgotten the time. It's after three and the bank's closed. Splendid. Uh, that means you'll have to stay over in Torquay. Oh, no, no, I, I can't do that. Oh, we should love to have you. 
I know Phil getting bored to death with me, and we've had such fun. Yes, it has been fun, Stella. I've been rustic for so long, I've almost forgotten how pleasant London talk can be. Very well. <laughs> I'll stay. <laughs> I sent a wire to Mrs. Narrocombe. I hoped that Megan would understand. Just this one day away from her wouldn't matter. It was the life that I'd always known. Gay, cheerful, normal people. Just a few more hours of their life before I left it altogether. Didn't seem wrong. Stella was a pretty thing. Curious the calm way she looked at me. As if she understood everything and... but never questioned too deeply. But that night I couldn't sleep. I thought of Megan. I was with her again. Under the living, breathing whiteness of the blossoms. The moonlight on her upturned face, face of innocence and humble passion. Megan, poor little trusting Megan. How much did I really love her? How much was madness and the spring and the wild beauty of her? I thought of Stella. Stella, cool, poised and friendly. Stella belonged to the world I knew and understood a world that understood me. Megan. Megan didn't understand and she never could belong. She loved me, but was that enough for either of us? I didn't know what to do. Phil and Stella had asked me to go with them to Totten's picnic. I hadn't given them a definite answer, nor had I sent any further wire to Mrs. Narricombe. Today I had to decide. I knew that. I went out for a walk along the cliff wall. There's a high sea running. There weren't many people out. I'd walked a mile or so, I guess, before I saw her. There she was. Megan in her old skirt and jacket and tam shanter She was looking for me. I knew that at once. She'd look up into the face of the passers-by, wavering, lost-looking, and somehow pitiful. I followed her a long way. Once she stopped and leaned against the seawall. I wanted her again. I wanted her kisses. Her abandonment, all her quick, warm, pagan emotion. And the wonderful feeling of that night under the moonlit apple tree. Yet I... I couldn't move toward her. I couldn't let her know I was there. For suddenly I realized that... To go back to the farm and love Megan, out in the woods... Among the rocks, with everything around wild and fitting... That was what I wanted. And that was impossible. But to transplant her to the town, to keep her in some little flat, and when the wild ecstasy wore off to find her 
commonplace, unable to fit into my world and no longer able to go back to her own. That was worse. Far worse. I took another long, last look at that pathetic, wistful figure staring out over the sea. Goodbye, Megan. Goodbye, my darling. Goodbye. Three days later, I went back to London, traveling with the Hallidays. On the last day of April of the following year, Stella and I were married. All this I remembered as I sat there on the hill in the warm sun. And as I remembered an ache for a lost youth, a hankering, a sense of wasted love and sweetness gripped me. And the sun no longer warm, I got up and walked a ways down the road. There's a man standing by what I saw was a grave, an old man he was. And the grave was by the crossroads. There was a moor stone to the west. And on it, someone had thrown a blackthorn spray and a handful of bluebells. Good afternoon to you, sir. A nice day for a walk. Can you tell me whose grave this is? Well, now it's quite a story. It was a poor soul that killed herself. It was a long time ago. She was a pretty girl, but too loving-hearted. Too? Too loving-hearted? In them days, I was working for Mrs. Norricombe, and she... Too. There was a college gentleman staying with us. She took a fancy to him. He was a nice fellow, too. Then one day he went away sudden-like and never come back. After that, she was crying a lot. And then one day I found her. She was lying in a pool by the old apple tree, by the stone where the gypsy boulder sat. Oh. It was June then, but she'd found a little bit of apple blossom and stuck it in her ear. I walked away. I'd heard enough. On the top of the hill, I lay down and buried my face in my hands. Megan's face brushed close. Megan, with a sprig of apple blossoms and her dark, wet hair. If I can be with you, that's all. If I could be with you. Oh, there you are, Frank. Look at my sketch. It's pretty, don't you think? Oh. oh, yes, it's pretty pretty. Still, there's something wanting, isn't there? Yes. Yes. I want something wanting. The apple tree. just heard the Orson Welles Mercury production of The Apple Tree by John Galsworthy. And now, Mr. Welles.
Ladies and gentlemen, because we have a couple of minutes before it's time to say goodnight, I'd like to read you a poem. Like our story tonight, deals with love and lost love. It's by Ernest Dawson. It's a great favorite. It's called Cinera. Last night, ah, yesternight, betwixt her lips and mine, there fell thy shadow, Cinera. Thy breath was shed upon my soul between the kisses and the wine. And I was desolate and sick of an old passion. Yea, I was desolate and bowed my head. I have been faithful to thee, Cinera, in my fashion. All night, upon mine heart, I felt her warm heart beat. Night long within mine arms in love and sleep she lay. Surely the kisses of her bought red mouth were sweet. But I was desolate and sick of an old passion when I awoke and found the dawn was gray. I have been faithful to thee, Cinera, in my fashion. I have forgot much, Cinera. Gone with the wind, flung roses, roses riotously with the throng. Dancing to put thy pale, lost lilies out of mind. But I was desolate and sick of an old passion. Yea, all the time, because the dance was long. I have been faithful to thee, Cinera. In my fashion, I cried for madder music and for stronger wine. And when the feast is finished, and the lamps expire, then falls thy shadow, Cinera. The night is thine. And I am desolate and sick of an old passion, yea, hungry for the lips of my desire. I have been faithful to thee, Cinera, in my fashion. We remain, as always, obediently yours. <laughs> You are listening to WSHDLP Eastport. We've just heard a rebroadcast of the 1946 Orson Welles Mercury Summer Theater, The Apple Tree. Now stay tuned for a 1942 episode of The Great Gildersleeve entitled Planting a Tree after this old apple tree by Ozzie Nelson and his orchestra. young and happy when he planted the old apple tree. Then one day Pappy took Widder Norton 
out on a jamboree. And when he took her home at sunup, Brother Norton raised his gun up, and he chased Pappy up in the tree. Say goodbye. Say goodbye. Say goodbye. That he wrote it, cause he died on the old apple tree. All the neighbors came after my pappy. Up in the tree he was he. The neighbors took a rope and strung him by the neck, and then they hung him to a branch of the old apple tree. Now my poor pappy lies in the orchard. Out of his misery, they put the apples in a basket, chopped the tree down for a casket, and my poor pappy's gone with the tree. Say goodbye. Say goodbye. Say goodbye. Say goodbye. Say goodbye. Apple tree. If my pappy had a notice, he'd be sorry that he wrote it, cause he died on that big apple tree. Apple Tree, Ozzie Nelson and his orchestra from 1938. Now, stay tuned for the 1942 episode of The Great Gildersleeve, entitled Planting a Tree. Babset presents The Great Gildersleeve. <laughs> of Fab Set present each week at this time Harold Perry as The Great Gildersleeve written by John Wheaton. We'll hear from The Great Gildersleeve in just a moment. Homemakers, when unexpected guests stay for dinner or between meal refreshments are in order, are you equal to the occasion? Well, whether the occasion calls for just a snack or for the main dish of a hearty meal, you'll find Pabstet is mighty handy to have around. You see, Pabstet is the delicious golden cheese food of a hundred different uses. Pabstet slices so neatly and spreads so easily, it's grand for sandwiches or appetizers, or to serve with fruit. Pabstet makes luscious, smooth cheese sauces that turn vegetables, leftovers, or chicken or egg dishes into real party treats. Pabstet is just right for cheese omelets, rabbits, or souffles. Yes, and Pabstet is nourishing. It's a fine energy food and easy to digest. So always keep a package or two of Pabstet on hand. Whether your dealer has it in the convenient round, flat package, remember, just ask for Pabstet. P-A-B-S-T-E-T-T. Pabstet, the delicious golden cheese food of a hundred uses. Let's join our friend, the great Gildersleeve, who has risen this morning with the conviction that all's right with the world. 
After a warm shower, a half dozen knee bends, a brisk shave, and a hearty breakfast, he stepped out onto the front porch to enjoy a cigar and survey his property. October. I tell you, Marjorie, there's no finer month in the year. Just breathe that air. It's wonderful. Uh, feel that nip in it. Makes you want to get out and do things. Doesn't it, Leroy? Such as what? <laughs> October. Harvest time, frost on the pumpkin. Brown October ale. The smell of burning leaves. I love October. Uh, look at that maple tree in Mrs. Ransom's yard there. Like a beautiful painting. Uncle Mort, I believe you'd like any kind of a tree if Mrs. Ransom was sitting under it. She is where? <laughs> I was speaking figuratively. Oh. Well, let me reiterate, Marjorie, that Mrs. Ransom to me is nothing but a neighbor. You believe in the good neighbor policy. If we were discussing trees, look at our own lovely elm. Look at the color of those leaves. Oh, glorious. Yeah, and you know what's going to happen to those leaves? They're going to fall on the ground. That's the first law of nature, my boy. Yeah, and I'm going to have to rake them up. That's the second law. <laughs> Leroy, never let me hear you say that about a tree. Okay, I think I'll go over to Piggy. Did you ever stop to consider what a wonderful thing a tree is? Leroy, I asked you a question. Did you? No, Uncle, but I'll do it the minute I get back. <laughs> Come back here. You do what? What you said. You weren't listening. I'm listening, Uncle. Piggy's waiting for me. We're going to dig a fort. You dig a fort? You can do plenty of digging right here, Leroy. Just stick around. I have something to tell you. Uh, both of you. Uh-oh. What is it? Well, I bought a tree. Huh? You bought a tree? Certainly. What's so amazing about that? Everybody ought to have more trees. Why, one of the happiest recollections of my childhood is an old cherry tree we had in our front yard at home. I fell out of it once and broke my arm. <laughs> you must have had a jolly childhood, Uncle Moore. Yeah. What wouldn't I give to be back there now? <laughs> to be a kid again. And break the other arm. <laughs> Yes, sir. There are two things every boy ought to grow up with. A dog of his own and a cherry tree. Do you mean that, Unc? What? About the dog? Uh, no, but I mean it about the cherry tree. <laughs> the tree I bought was a cherry tree. How did you come to get sold this tree, Uncle Moore? I didn't get sold it. I bought it of my own free will, fully dressed and in my right mind. <laughs> well, where are we going to put it? Where are we going to put another tree here? Well, uh, uh, you don't understand, my dear. This is a very fine tree. It's a... Uh, it, they call it a giant ponderosa. Holy smokes, how big is it? Well, the man says they grow 30 or 40 feet high, higher than the house. What man, Uncle Moore? The man that sold it to me. He showed me a picture of it. Oh, you haven't seen the tree? Why, of course not. I hope you didn't pay him for it. Well, I, uh... Come on, Uncle. How much did he stick you for? Twenty-two fifty, and he didn't stick me. Twenty-two fifty? Wow, you must have bought a redwood. Uncle Moore, did you ever stop to think how many cherries you could buy for twenty-two fifty? Oh, you're very helpful, both of you. But the tree will be arriving today or tomorrow. We've got to decide where we're going to put it. Now, I thought maybe right out here in the front. Uncle Moore, this is the only sunny spot left in the whole yard. That's good. Cherry trees need sun. It'll give us some nice shade out here. We can hang a hammock under it. Hey, that wouldn't be bad. Just lie here with your mouth open and let the cherries drop in. Uh, Boy. <laughs> well, of course, we might not have more than a few cherries the first year. But after that... Oh, uh, Bertie. Yes, sir? How are you on cherry pies? Well, I haven't had any complaints so far. Uh, then warm up your rolling pin. Uh, Leroy, do you like cherry pie? Are you kidding? 
Then get the shovel. Oh, I like coconut custard better. Get the shovel anyway. <laughs> You've hardly scratched the surface there, Leroy. That isn't deep enough for a geranium. Gosh, I've been digging for half an hour. Here, give me that shovel, Leroy. I'll spare you. Yes, you show him how it should be done, Bertie. You've got to put your foot on it and give it to old Heave Hole. Yeah, that's right, Bertie. Heave Hole. Fine. I'm going to have to stop pretty soon, Mr. Gilfleet, and get lunch. Is anybody hungry? I'm not. Well, don't you think it's deep enough now, Uncle Morris? It's up to our way. Well, you've got to remember, my dear, this is no two-for-a-nickel cherry tree. This is a giant ponderosa. Yes, I know, Uncle Morris. These things have roots. They've got to spread out. Eve ho, Bertie. Looks like I'm dug in for the women here. Eve ho! <laughs> Yes, Leroy. While you're resting, give Bertie a hand there. I, I don't want to suggest anything, Unc, but how are you with a shovel? Uh, I'm saving myself, Leroy. So I know that. Uh, I'm saving myself for the hard work. We've got a long way to go yet. These giant ponderosas, you know. Heave ho, my boy. But it's up to my chin, Unc. Chin up, my boy. Heave ho. <laughs> Get busy here and have everything ready. Hey, come on up, Bertie. Yes, sir, if I can get up. Uh, Look out, you're starting a landslide. Leroy, give her a boost there. Grab hold of the shovel, Bertie, and I'll pull. Great day in the morning. I sure am glad to be out that hole in the ground. Now give me a hand up. Okay. One, two, three. There you are. Now, Leroy, while you're resting, I want you to take that shovel. Well, here comes Mrs. Ransom. Mrs. Ransom? Oh, give me the shovel. <laughs> Don't tell me you're going to break down and go to work on. Go dig your fort, Leroy. <laughs> give me the shovel. Uh, good afternoon, Mrs. Ransom. Uh, lovely day. Just glorious. Hello, Leroy. Mrs. Ransom, Marjorie, honey, you're looking just sweet. Thank you. Uh, just doing a little landscaping here. I saw you. I saw you out the window, and I declare to goodness I was just consumed with curiosity, so I came right over willy-nilly. Well, glad you did. Where's Willie? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> careful, don't fall in that hole. Oh, what's rock, Mountain? Mr. Gildersleeve, did you go and dig that great big hole? Uh, well, I had a little help. A little, he says. <laughs> well, it's a lovely hole. But what are you going to do with it? Make a swimming pool? <laughs> no, we're going to plant a tree. A tree? Oh, Strachmorton, then you did remember. Sure, remember what? 
Well, what we talked about under the maple tree the other night. Oh, that. (laughs) (laughs) I love trees, don't you, Marjorie? Yes, you can't go wrong with a tree. (laughs) You know, Shark Mountain, the boys back home used to have the prettiest customs. They used to carve the girls' initials in the trees. Sometimes they even put a heart around them with an arrow through it. Silly, isn't it? <laughs> Leroy, go dig your fort. I'm getting to like it here, huh? Well, yeah, here comes somebody else. Looks like Mr. Peavy. It is. Hello, Mr. Gildersleeve. Yeah, uh, hello, Peavy. Hmm, doing a little digging, I see. Yes, yeah, doing a little digging. Hmm, that's nice. <laughs> I do a little gardening myself when I can. Uh, Peavy, uh, you know Mrs. Ransom? Oh, yes. Yes, Mr. Peavy and I are old friends. Yes, I had the privilege of selling Mrs. Ransom a back brush a few days ago. Uh, how's it working out, Mrs. Ransom? Well, I, I hardly know that this is the place to discuss it, Mr. Peavy, but it has a tendency to tickle. Well, they come that way from the factory. You have to work them in. Mrs. <laughs> Peavy and I have one of those brushes. We've had it almost ten years, and we think the world of it. We wouldn't part with that brush for almost anything you could name. Yes, well, I'm glad you're happy with it. Hey, Unc, here comes the old goat. Leroy, that's no way to talk about Judge Hooker. Hello, Gildy. Hello, you old goat. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mrs. Ransom. Oh, my, this is an unexpected pleasure, Judge. Hello, Leroy, Marjorie, Phoebe. Uh, Quite a little gathering. What's going on here? Mr. Gildersleeve is having a tree planted. Well, what is this, Arbor Day? Well, I wish I could stay for the ceremonies, but I've got to tend to my marketing. Oh, must you go? Yes, but when I come back, I expect to see a shady bell right where that hole is. Goodbye now. Uh, goodbye, Mrs. Ransom. Goodbye, Mrs. Ransom. Goodbye. Goodbye, Mrs. Ransom. You can have the shovel back now, Leroy. What's the excavation for, Gildy? Are you going to plant this tree or bury it? No. What kind of a tree is it? It's a cherry tree. Any objections? No. Of course, they don't live very long, but they'll probably live as long as you will. <laughs> Listen to me, you old goat. A cherry tree was good enough for George Washington, and George Washington was good enough for me. You tell him, Uncle. Why, every house in this country ought to have a cherry tree. I hope this tree will be an inspiration to you, Leroy, to follow in the footsteps of George Washington. Do you understand what's expected of you? Yeah, you want me to chop it down. You know. <laughs> Smart kid. He knows his history, Gildy. That's more than you do. Uh, yeah. Hey, Unc. Unc, here he comes. Uh, who? The express man. Maybe he's got the train. Oh, no, no. It would take a bigger wagon than that, Leroy. You'd have to send it out on a truck. All right, up here, though. Oh, yeah. he's stopping here. Well, maybe it's still down at the freight office. Maybe they couldn't handle it. After all, a giant ponderosa at twenty-two fifty. Mr. Gildersleeve, gentleman right there. Yeah, something for me? A sign here. Wait a minute. I was expecting a tree. They telephoned me from the freight office. You know anything about it? You sign here. But what am I signing for? I bought this tree from a fellow who came through here a week ago. Sign here, please. All right, I'll sign. But what about the tree? I paid a lot of good money down. If it's all the same to you, I'd like to know no, what... Oh, no, no, Now you went and signed in the wrong place. I'll have to erase it. Just erase it. Well, you got me so darn excited. Now, listen, brother, would you mind telling bottom me... Bottom line, there, the bottom line. Your hand's shaking, huh? Yeah. Now, would you mind telling me what you're delivering, if anything? Tree. The tree? Where is it? Under my arm. Take it, will you, bud? That little twig? 
again in a few seconds. But first, you homemakers have a big job to do these wartime days. Yes, your job is to see that your families get the foods that help make them strong. So you'll want to know about a food that adds extra nourishment to meals in any number of easy, appetizing ways. That food is Pabstet, the delicious golden cheese food of a hundred different uses. Yes, Pabstet offers many quick, delightful ways to add variety and extra nutriments to your menus. One way is with the smooth, rich cheese sauces that Pabstet makes. Just melt Pabstet in a double boiler, stir in a little milk and season, and you have a grand golden cheese sauce for vegetables, leftovers, all kinds of nourishing foods. Pabstet cheese sauce is mighty tasty, mighty nutritious, too, because Pabstet is a nourishing, digestible energy food, rich in milk protein, and it helps provide vitamin A and the important milk minerals, calcium and phosphorus. So serve Pabstet often. Remember, it's Pabstet, the delicious golden cheese food of a hundred uses. And now let's get back to the great Gildersleeve and his cherry tree. The neighbors have left, and for half an hour, Gildersleeve and his nephew have been filling in the mighty hole they just finished digging. Alas, poor Leroy, I knew him well. Never mind the ham, Leroy. Keep shoveling. First we shovel it out, and then we shovel it in. Yeah, that's life, my boy. It seems a shame to fill up a ditch like this, huh? Would have made a swell elephant trap. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to trap the fellow who sold me this tree. That Johnny Appleseed ever comes through here again, I'll hang him from the top of it. You couldn't hang a midget from it now, Uncle. All right, keep shuffling. You know, Uncle Boy, I think this tree's going to live. Oh, really, Marjorie? Mm-hmm. I've been soaking its little roots in water. Oh. Look, there's some green there. By George, you're right. Look at that green. Water, that's all it needs. Let's get it in the ground quick, huh? Leroy, scoop out a little bed for it. Okay. Yeah. A young tree will stand transplanting better than the big one, you know. Yeah, that's right, my dear. Uh, stick it in the hole, Marjorie, and Leroy, you fill around it. Hold it straight, Marge. There. Uh, you know, all that digging we did will probably help us. Plenty of cultivation. That's what these trees need, and plenty of water. Uh, now pat the earth around the little roots, Leroy. That's right. Don't pat it too hard. These giant ponderosas are very delicate. <laughs> You gotta cultivate them and water them. You gotta tend them like a little baby. Hmm. Nice little tree. <laughs> Maybe we ought to take it in the house nights to keep it warm. <laughs> Very funny, Leroy. Go get the hose and drag it over here, will you? We gotta give this a good soaking. Don't you think we ought to use a medicine dropper? A medicine. <laughs> Go get the hose. Okay, okay. <laughs> They just like to kid you, Uncle Mort. You are funny, you know. Oh, you too. <laughs> Let them laugh. We're lucky to get a tree like this for twenty-two fifty. Hey, the hose. Well, drag it over here. I can't. It won't leak. This is as far as it'll go. Oh well, turn on the water. We'll squirt it from there. Here, give it to me. You go turn it off. Don't squirt it too hard, Uncle Mort. You'll knock the tree over. Go ahead. Turn it on, Leroy. It's Stand back, Marjorie. Here oh. it comes. Uh -huh. Turn it on all the way. I've got to turn it on, Uncle 
Oh, look at that. Is that guy next door taking a bath again? <laughs> we'll never reach the tree with that. What's the matter? Nothing comes out. Look at that dribble. Oh, you can make it go farther than that. Stick your thumb over the end of it, Unc. Well, I'll try it. Oh! <laughs> Leroy, you knew it would do that. You didn't have to squirt yourself in the face with it, Unc. I'll wipe you off, Uncle Moore. Yes, never mind. By George, that's the last straw. That's Summerfield for you. You try to plant a tree, you try to beautify the place for a little, and then what happens? No water. Bertie's been complaining about the pressure all summer. Well, she should. The water situation in this town is a disgrace. It's a fire hazard. It's a menace to the public health. And uh, it leaves a ring in the bathtub, too. <laughs> I'm going to go out and do something. <laughs> What do you want? I'm very busy. Hey, Judge, have you used any water lately? I never touch the sun. You come all the way down here to ask me riddles? I mean it. I'm serious. We can't get any water at my house. We can't get any pressure. It's a disgrace. Well, don't complain to me. Complain to Clanahan. He's the water commissioner. Uh, what's the use of complaining to Clanahan? He just sits down there at the waterworks on his fat salary playing pinochle. <laughs> while the town goes dry. A man can't even plant a cherry tree. Well, don't holler at me. I don't play pinochle. Well, that's nothing to do with it. You might at least ask a visitor to come in and sit down, Hooker. I don't want you to come in, and I don't want you to sit down. I'm busy. Now, Judge, look. I've written a letter to the indicator vindicator about this situation. You have. Uh, and I'd like to read it to you. No, 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 no. I'm positive it's a fine letter, Gildy, and you must be sure to send it to the newspaper. But if you want to get action with a politician like Clanahan, you'll have to get out and blast. It blast? What do you mean, Judge? You want to get up a petition. Go around and get people to sign it. A petition? You're right. It's the voice of the people. Oh, that's wonderful, Judge. I'll get up a petition that'll blow his ears back. I'll write a petition that'll go down in history with the Missouri Compromise. Or was it the Mississippi? <laughs> Gildersleeve, you're next. Be with you in about two minutes. Thanks, Floyd. I won't require your professional ministrations this morning. I shaved myself. But I've got a little thing here I'd like to have you sign. Well, the wife says I'll sign anything. What is it? Uh, you use a lot of water here, don't you, Floyd? Now, I've got a petition. I'll read it to you. A quote. It's whom it may concern. We, the undersigned taxpayers of Summerfield, believing that the water situation in this town is a crime and a disgrace and a stench in the nostrils of civic pride, do hereby petition the town council... What's hissing? Are you shushing me? The guy in the chair under the towel. Yes, Corey, are you working on me, Ranger? Uh, uh, yes, sir. Be right with you. Well, get this towel off me, Trey. Yes, sir. Oh, hello, Clanahan. <laughs> hello, Gildersleeve. I read your letter in the indicator last night. Did you? I used your water to shave with this morning. I'm just getting up a little testimonial about it here. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, Mr. Gildersleeve, but I couldn't possibly sign a thing like that. Mr. Clanahan here is one of my best customers. I'm sorry. Come back later. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the way you feel about it. Goodbye, Floyd. I'll be seeing you, Mr. Clanahan, if you're around. <laughs> <laughs> Peavy, you know yourself the water in this town isn't any good. It's not even fit to bathe in. 
Well, no, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> I bathe in it regularly, so does Mrs. Peavy. All right, it's fine to bathe in them. Well, no, I wouldn't say that either. It's a little slow coming out of the tap, and it's kind of brown, and it has its peculiar taste. Well, in, o- in other words, it's pretty bad water. Well, no, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> Look, Peavy, I'm not asking you to sign the Magna Carta. It's just a little piece of paper asking for water. Yeah, I understand. Peavy, out in my yard, I've got a little cherry tree, a little tiny cherry tree, pushing its tender shoots up through the parched earth, crying for water. Are you going to deny that little treelet life? Well... Sign here. Oh, no, Gildy. I wasn't born yesterday. Look here, Judge. You're the one who told me to get up this petition. Sure I was, but I'm not crazy enough to sign it. Why, I'd as soon sign my own death warrant. I'll be bringing that around yet, you old goat. <laughs> a fine, upstanding judge. Well, you know how this town is run, Gildy. It's just too bad. I'd like to see somebody throw Clanahan out. Somebody else, not me. Uh, that's your final word, is it, Hooker? I'm sorry, Gildy, but that's it. Very interesting. This is going to be very interesting. To whom? To a certain lady who shall be nameless, Mrs. Ransom. All right. If you're going to play dirty, give me the paper. I thought you'd see the light, Judge. You're worse than Clanahan. I'm doing this against my better judgment, you understand. You never want to trust that anyway. Thanks, Judge. Exactly. I brought you a little paper to sign. Oh, my goodness. I do hope it's nothing legal. Well, it has to do with the water situation. Oh, dear. Is it bad? Hadn't you noticed? It's terrible. There's no hydraulic pressure. Oh, there you go. I just don't know what you're talking about when you talk about things like that. I'm not a bit mechanical, you know. Oh, well, you don't have to understand it, really. All you have to do is sign it. It's a petition. Petition? Is that anything like a subpoena? Uh, well, not really, no. Because I never did know what a subpoena was. My my husband, Beauregard, was a lawyer, you know, and I never did understand him from the day I married him. Oh, but then he never understood me. Oh. But we understand each other, don't we, Strike Martin? <laughs> oh, brother. <laughs> won't you? Now, let's don't talk about petitions and pressures and chemistry and all that. Let's talk about us. Oh, well, I'll tell you. I've got to get this petition in before the meeting of the town council tomorrow. Oh, poo. All you men think about is business. I know, but uh, let's get it signed first, and then we can uh, uh, go on from there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'd love to sign the truck, Morton. Really, I would. But Beauregard told me I must never sign anything without getting the advice of a lawyer first. Oh. Uh, don't you reckon maybe I ought to consult Judge Hooker? Uh, Hooker? <laughs> no. Frankly, I don't think the judge would understand about this. You don't? No. You see, if, if this petition... Uh, if, well, it all started with that tree I planted. Our tree, Leela. Our little tree. <laughs> oh, Trachman. You're sweet. <laughs> 
I'll sign it. I'll do anything you say. Uh, wait, here's my pen. <laughs> After all, you're my air aid warden. I guess that makes it legal, doesn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. There. To Rock Martin with love from Leela. Uh, huh? <laughs> Well, uh, I mean, it's all right the way I autographed it. Oh, the town council will love it. <laughs> <laughs> With love from Leela. <laughs> What's that noise? What time is it? It's only six o'clock. What's going on out there? Leroy, what's that racket outside? There's a gang of men digging in the front yard. In the front yard? Who told them to do that? Six o'clock in the morning. I'll find out about this. Hey! Hey, out there! Oh, it's you, Clanahan. What do you think you're doing? You complained about the water, didn't you? Certainly I did, and I'm going to complain about it again. You said you wanted action, didn't you? Certainly I did. Well, you're getting it. it. Wait a minute. Where's that tree that was there? What tree? Oh, No, Leroy. Uh, what's the picture? Oh, it's super, Unc. It's called Here We Go Again. Here We Go Again? I never heard of it. You never heard of Here We Go Again? Well, I've heard of it now. It's got Fibber McGee and Molly in it. Oh, my little chums. Well. And Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy. Well, for heaven's sake, that sounds great. Here's a dollar. Take your friend. Wait a minute. There's a guy in it called the Great Gildersleeve. Never heard. Oh, that's me. What am I saying? Wait a minute, Leroy. I'll get my hat and go with you. Good night, everybody. Here we go again. <laughs> music heard on this program was composed and conducted by Billy Mills. This is Frank Bingman speaking for the makers of Pab Set and inviting you to be with us again next week at the same time for the further adventures of the Great Gildersleeve. You are listening to WSHDLP Eastport. We've just read a 1942 episode of the Great Gildersleeve entitled Planting a Tree. We remind you that WSHDLP Eastport is a non-commercial station and does not endorse any product. Pabst Et was a cheese substitute containing no cheese, which was developed by Pabst Blue Ribbon during Prohibition and was sold throughout World War II. Pabst Et seems to have disappeared after the war. Thank you, dear friends. This concludes today's show. On behalf of around the world's staff of researchers, recording engineers, interns, and Victrola technicians, this is Cracklin' Jane. Thank you, and see you next week.
because you know. This is Joe Loudon, a.k.a. The Bass Lady, inviting you to join me every Wednesday from 3 to 4.30 p.m. for The Bass Lady Presents. With a different weekly theme from jazz to Celtic, from Newgrass to New Orleans, it's always a mix of great music. That's every Wednesday from 3 to 4.30 with a repeat airing on Saturdays from 4 to 5.30 p.m. right here on 93.3 FM WSHDLP Eastport, Maine. I'm all about that bass. Hey, have I got a radio show for you. Old Coasting comes at you twice a week. Thursday at 8, Sunday at 4, right here on WSHDLP in Eastport, Maine, 93.3 FM. On Bold Coasting, we don't just play the music, uh, we like to talk about it a little bit, too. It's music and commentary. It's a radio show with liner notes. Your kids can ask your parents what that means. Mad Pad. Mad Pad. Tune in every Saturday night at 7 and again on Tuesdays at 8 for Philly Joe Remarkable's Mad Pad right here on WSHDLP Eastport, Maine, 93.3 on your FM dial. Man, take this crazy pad. Man, it's a mad pad. Come on by Sam's Caffeine Cafe every Tuesday and Thursday morning from 8 until 10 a.m. I'm Sam, the proprietor. I keep all the tables clean. There are no sesame seeds on the floor, no schmutz from the night before, just good music. The first hour, a little bit softer, some Americana, folk, blues, a little bit of jazz. But by 9 o'clock, we are amped up on caffeine. We're playing up-tempo music all hour long. It's a grab bag, it's a fun place to hang out, and we would love to have you. We would. Please come by 93.3 WSHDLP Eastport. You are listening to WSHDLP Eastport, broadcasting from the hallowed hallways of Shed High School. Tune in Mondays 4 to 6 p.m. for Around the World with your host, Cracklin Jane featuring historical 78 RPM recordings from around the world, plus radio dramas from the golden age of radio. If you missed the show, don't despair. There's a repeat broadcast on Fridays, 6 to 8 p.m., and if you miss that, just go to www.cracklinjane.com and download or stream the show at your leisure. <laughs> 